Amen. Lord, that's our heart this morning to lift up, magnify your name. You're a great and an awesome God. We can't thank you enough for what you've already done for us, let alone what you continue to do. Father, we honor you. We, we magnify your name. We praise and worship you. You are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified. You're a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God, a faithful God, a loving God. And we're so blessed to be your sons and daughters adopted into your family by your grace. Father, as we go to your word, may you be our teacher this morning. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't raise your hand earlier, you need to raise it now because you're going to need one. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm not putting any words on the screen. I want you to look at your Bible. All right? So raise your hand. And always, as always, feel free. If you need a Bible, take it home with you, okay? Read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie, right? We want you to be in the Word every day. That's not going to happen if you don't have a Bible at home. If you just like that Bible better, take it. All right, I'm always happy to buy more Bibles. That's a good thing. All right, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you to read Joshua chapter 10 for Wednesday night. As we'll be going verse-by-verse through our Old Testament study, we'll be in Joshua 10 this coming Wednesday. As Pastor Bill mentioned, a week from Wednesday... We'll be having the Pottersfield ministry. I want to encourage you. I've said it several times. I'll say it again. It's one of those things where people walk out saying, if I had only known this is what it was going to be, I would have invited my unsaved friends. I would have invited my friend who knows the Lord, who's struggling in their walk, or just somebody who's on fire for God. I want to encourage you. It's unique. You'll be blessed. And I want to encourage you to invite as many people as possible. Also be praying. I got approval to have the Pottersfield ministry do chapel at Monta Vista Christian School. So a thousand students. So praise God for that. We'll be praying. We haven't been able to get a hold of Mike yet to make sure that fits into his schedule. So just be praying that God will work out the details because we want to see those kids impacted as well. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in the second half. And just by the way of quick review, we're going to continue to look at the practical application now. Remember the first three chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus was a letter written to a church he had founded, a church that had lost its way, a church again surrounded by idolatry, sexual immorality, great wealth. He writes this letter to them to remind them first of who they are in Christ. He talks first from a practical or a biblical perspective, again, the position that we have in Christ. Who we are in Christ, our riches in Christ, we're rich in the Lord. Guys, if you don't know it already, as Christians, you're the richest people on this planet. Because you've got Jesus Christ, you've been blessed, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, insured. All that is seen in in Ephesians chapter 1. Then we see our position in Christ, that we've been brought near by the blood. That we're no longer alienated from Almighty God, but we have personal, intimate fellowship with the Creator of the universe. And that happened not because of our good works, but because of His great grace. So we're rich in Christ. We're near because of His grace to the Lord. So the first half discusses belief. And as we come to the second half, we begin to discuss behavior. The first half talks about our privileges as Christians. And the second half, our responsibilities. Now I said this last week, it bears repeating that, notice in scripture, it's always what God does first and then how we respond. We're not saved by our works. 
So it's grace first, and then our works are a response to God's, in response to God's grace. So the first half of this chapter is telling us all that God has done for us, and the second half of this book tells us how we are to respond to the grace of God. So last week we saw in responding to God's grace, first, that as we respond to His grace, we respond to His love and His infinite mercy, that we are to walk worthy. He begins by saying, okay, now in light of all I've done, walk worthy. Walk worthy as someone who's called to be a Christian. Now we struggle with this because you know that I absolutely believe the Bible teaches we're saved by grace. Amen? We're living in the age of grace, as we talked about in the dispensations a couple weeks ago. We're in the age of grace. Now it's what He has done for us. But at the same time, it's teaching an incomplete message to preach only grace and not talk about our response to His grace. That God has called us to walk in holiness. And He said, walk worthy as Christians. And He said last week to walk in humility and to walk in unity. You know, as Christians, we should be humbled by what Christ has done for us, not puffed up by it. Amen? Christians ought to be the most humble people on the planet. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And as Christians, we ought to walk in humility. But we also ought to walk in unity. We have a common bond. We have Jesus Christ in common. You know, we saw last week that we have one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. And so we've got Jesus in common and we're filled with the same spirit and we're all part of the same body. And it grieves the heart of God to see His children fighting with each other when we ought to be reaching out to the lost. People are dying and going to hell without Jesus every single moment. Amen? And the Great Commission is that we be burdened for them, not bickering with each other, fighting over non-essentials of the faith. And so he says to walk in unity and to walk in humility. And then he talked about being united in faith through the use of our gifts. That we all have certain gifts in common, but we all have special gifts God's given each of us. If you've been born again, you're in the ministry. Amen? Every one of you. And so God has called you and He's gifted you and He wants to use you to impact others' lives for His glory. So if you come to the second portion of chapter 4, the first half talking about walk worthy of your calling as a Christian, in the second half, we're going to see in response to God's grace that we're to walk not only worthy of our calling as a Christian, but to no longer walk like the world. The first half says walk worthy of your calling as a Christian. The second half is now going to say of this chapter, no longer walk like the world. Titled the message this morning to be in the world, but not of it. In the world, not of it. Our faith in Christ should impact not only our belief, but our behavior. As Christians, as new creations in Christ, having been born again, we're going to see in the text today, we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. And again, having been filled and clothed in Christ, it ought to impact more than just what we believe, but also how we live. So if you're a note taker, three quick points to the, t- to the message today. In the world, but not of it is the title. Point number one is no longer walking like the world. No longer walking like the world. The world's spiritually dead. The world resists the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about in the past. The Spirit is with them, and they resist the Spirit. There's positive things about the Spirit. He is with us, but we can resist Him. He's in us, but we can grieve Him. He can be upon us, but we can quench Him. And so the first point is no longer walking like the world. The second point is walking in newness of life. 
So we no longer walk like the world, but now we walk in newness of life. No longer just the Spirit with us, but the Spirit now in us. And then the final point is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Having the Spirit upon us, where it impacts every aspect of our daily conduct. So again, in the world but not of it. No longer walking like the world, walking in the newness of life, and then finally walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin in verse 17. In the world but not of it. No longer walking like the world. The world is spiritually dead. The world resists the Spirit of the living God. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore. Whenever we see the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? Okay? We go back and look at the previous verses leading up to it. Therefore. So in light of all that has been written in the previous three and a half chapters, our riches in Christ, our position in Christ, we've been brought near by the blood, the mystery of His grace, the fact that we're all part of one body, filled with the same Spirit, possessing the same hope, following the same Lord, indwelt by the same faith, baptized into the same baptism, children of the same God and Father of all. In light of all of that, how are, to, how are we to respond? In light of all of those truths that have been taught thus far, how are you and I to respond? It says there, therefore, thus I say therefore, and testify in the Lord. Paul's bearing witness that these are not Paul's words, but God's word. And that's true of every word in the Bible, by the way. Amen? One of the greatest attacks going on in the church today is people attacking the authenticity of Scripture. If you reject the authenticity of Scripture, you reject the God of the Bible. We either believe the entire Bible or we don't believe the Bible at all. It's all God's Word, all inspired by God, and we believe all of it. And Paul's saying, look, these are not my words, this is God's Word. He's sharing the authority. This is not his opinion. It's not to be taken lightly. Thus I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now walk, as we talked about last week, depicts our daily conduct. Walk is talking about how we live every day, every moment of the day. So he's saying no longer have daily conduct, no longer live like the rest of the world does. Now, there's a tendency in the church today for Christians to attempt to display to the world that we're not so different. There's a misguided effort to gain the world's respect or the world's approval. This is exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. We are not to be like the world, amen? We're not to try to be so much like the world that the world is not uncomfortable around us. You know, can I tell you something? I promise you there was some uncomfort around Jesus, amen? There's some, whoa, I need to get right. Amen? You hang around the Lord. Now again, He's a loving and a gracious God who is reaching out in love, who no doubt comforted all who came to Him seeking to know Him. He loved them. Let the little children come unto me, for as such is the kingdom of heaven. But you know what? The gospel is a stone of offense. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. It's going to offend. And when we try to take, make the cross inoffensive, what we're doing is we're taking away the power of the cross. So people just stop mentioning the cross, stop mentioning sin, stop mentioning salvation, stop mentioning our need for a Savior, and let's be just like the world. That, heaven forbid. May we never try to be like the world, but instead try to be like the Lord. Amen? 
He is our example. He is the one we follow. He is the one that we testify of. And there's a tendency again. And he says here, don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't let your daily conduct be like the world's daily conduct. The rest of the Gentiles here is a reference to those who do not know God. Remember that most of the Ephesian church were Gentiles who got saved. And he says, don't you follow the pattern of the surrounding Gentiles. As part of Christ's body, filled with the Holy Spirit, we should walk, live, talk, and act different from the ungodly world that surrounds us, those who are spiritually dead. Now what are some of the characteristics of an ungodly walk? What are some things that we see in a walk that is outside of God's will? Look at, let's continue on. Look what it says there. The rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, another way of translating that, if you look in the original language, is in the depravity of their flesh-driven will. The futility of their mind. You know, the man's mind is futile. Man's thoughts are futile. They're empty. You know, the word futile-minded actually could be translated empty-headed. The empty-headedness of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that the world doesn't ever come up with things that we would look at and say, wow, that's really intellectually deep, right? Wow, that's incredible what they've invented. But the truth is that in, from an eternal perspective, it's void of wisdom because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear God, you have no wisdom. So Einstein had no wisdom. Bill Gates has no wisdom. They don't know God, no wisdom. Now, they may have some intellect, they may accomplish some things from the world's perspective, but that's not going to do us any good in eternity, amen? And so we see here, he's saying, look, don't walk in the futility of their mind. They're caught up in following after their own thoughts, their own desires, and their own will. Guys, there's only one throne on your life, and only one person can dwell there. It can be the Lord, or it's you. And he's saying the world operates in the futility of their mind being led by their will and their desires and their passions. Being led by their will, not God's will. Seeking after to fulfill their own heart and their own desires and their own, again, believing in their own intellect. The mind is distorted and immoral and is without understanding when it comes to spiritual things. We need to know Jesus. He's the answer. So he says, don't walk like the Gentiles who walk in the futility of their minds. Look what it says in verse 18. Having their understanding darkened. Now the Bible tells us that those who do not know God are spiritually blind. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody and you open them up to the most simple verse in the world, like John 3.16, and you read it to them and they look at you like you're on glue or something? I don't understand that. For God so loved the world. What part of that are you struggling with? That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting. Oh, that just seems judgmental to me. What are you talking about? He's reaching out in love to you. He, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. Oh man, that's just too narrow. Oh, you Christians are all alike. What? God loves you. He suffered and died in your place. Oh, I can't take that. They're blind. They're spiritually blind. You know, we need to pray for our unsaved friends. God, remove the scales from their eyes. Open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Let them see you for who you are, Lord. Do whatever it takes. And so he says that they, these 
unbelievers, the other Gentiles, walk in the futility of their own mind, their own will, their own thoughts, and they're spiritually blind. They're walking around in darkness. Why would you follow a guy who's blind in, in spiritual things? Why would you do that? Why would you follow someone who doesn't know God? But yet, as Christians, we're tempted to do that all day. People often will tell me about their mentor. And I'll say, really, tell me about him, and I find out the guy's not saved. Why would you be following after an unbeliever? He says, look, don't follow after the world. They're walking in the futility of their mind, and they're walking in spiritual darkness. I want to follow the guy with the halogen light, not the guy walking in darkness. Amen? And that's, you know, the light of the Lord. And so they walk in darkness. They walk in futility. They don't understand. And you know what? When we're blindly following something we can't see, who we're following is the enemy. He's the one who we follow if we're spiritually blind. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, speaks of God's wrath upon unrighteousness. And we need to understand that God's wrath is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. And we see here that from this text that, you know, it's so heartbreaking and so sad that we would make the mistake of following after the world instead of following after the Lord, understanding that in following after the world we're separated from God. Look what it says there. It says there, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to the Lord, are you an alien or are you His friend? Does He know you in an intimate and a personal way? Or do you just know about Him? You know what? I praise God that by His grace that I've been drawn near. By His blood I've been drawn near. The Bible says they're alienated from life because of the ignorance that is in them. Man, the world doesn't like to hear that, do they? You know the word ignorant, that's agnostic. Agnostic means without knowledge. So you could also interpret the word agnostic as ignoramus. So if someone tells you, I'm an agnostic, I'm an ignoramus. And the truth is that if we don't know God, we're walking in spiritual ignorance. We're alienated from the Lord. We're walking in darkness. We're following the futility of our own mind. Why would we follow that person? And he's saying, don't follow the world. Don't be separated from the world. Don't pattern your life after people walking in darkness who are caught up in their own, again, spiritual intellect. Those who are spiritually blind. They're ignorant to the real reason they were created to have intimate fellowship with God. And it says there, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Again, spiritual ignorance is ultimately a heart problem. It's interesting, the word there for blindness could also be interpreted as callousness. They've thickened their heart. They've hardened their heart toward God. They've seared over their heart to the point where as we're going to see in the next couple of verses, they're past the feeling of conviction. Now they walk in sin and there's no conviction there anymore. We are not to walk like the world. We're not to follow that pattern of people walking in darkness, people walking in ignorance, people alienated from God. You know what? We need to lead them, not follow them. Amen? Amen. We need to lead them to the truth and lead them to the Lord. And sadly in the world today, we so elevate men that sometimes we're following those 
who are spiritually blind, who are ignorant, who are separated from God, who are walking in the futility of their own thoughts. Look at verse 19. Who being past feeling, heart hardened beyond conviction, past feeling, a seared over conscience, having resisted the Holy Spirit's conviction for so long and become so hardened and callous to conviction that they've given themselves completely over to their sinful desires. They're past feeling. Guys, can I tell you something? If you're not convicted by sin, look out. That's not good. Amen? Young man went, went up to a pastor one day, Pastor Barnhouse is his name, and said to him, you know, I you know, I know that I sin and it just doesn't bother me. I've gotten to the point now, I've been walking with God long enough that I can live in sin and, you know, and it just doesn't bother me anymore. And I love the pastor's response. He said, if you drop a thousand pounds safe on a dead man, does he feel it? He said, no. He said, why? Because he's dead. And you don't feel conviction because you're spiritually dead. Ouch. But it's true. If we are never convicted by our sin, then the Holy Spirit does not dwell within us. Amen? The Holy Spirit loves us enough to comfort us and to convict us when we sin. Remember, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God knows it will harm us, and He loves us enough to send us the person of the Spirit to live inside of us to convict us over sin. And when there's no conviction, there's been no salvation. And praise God for conviction. That's a good thing. It draws us back into fellowship. But it says here, these guys are past feeling. They no longer are convicted at all. They've resisted the Holy Spirit so long that they no longer even feel that twinge of conviction when they sin. This is callous to that conviction. Result is a complete surrender to the desires of their flesh. Look what it says. When you get to the point where you're not convicted anymore, you're going to see it in your actions. All of a sudden, where you used to be convicted about things now, you're, you're, hey, Katie, bar the door, I'm going for it. Because now I'm giving in completely to the desires of my flesh. And this is what's happening here. He said, don't walk like these who are in the futility of their mind. Those who are falling after their own will. Those who have seared themselves over to the conviction of the Spirit. Because look what it says in verse 19. Have given themselves over to lewdness. The word there, lewdness in the Greek, aselgia, means one who is hardened by his sin that he shamelessly dives headlong into total depravity. He doesn't even care how he looks before the world as long as he can satisfy his flesh. Man, do we see that in the world today? Things like Mardi Gras, right? Day of decadence. Things where people just don't even care. They're just going to go for it. Man, I've given myself over to it, and I'm going head first, and I don't even care. Sometimes you see it in a, somebody who's married and you know, he just makes a decision, he's going to have an affair and he's doing it openly in the office and you think, wow, here's somebody who's turned themselves over to lewdness, an open, unashamed, sinful behavior. Look, I'm living a sinful life and I don't care if everybody knows it as long as my flesh is satisfied. This is the heart of someone who's past feeling gone beyond the conviction of the Holy Spirit, has given themselves completely to the desires of their flesh. Remember, he said at the beginning, don't walk like the world. Remember again, as I said, God's wrath is a holy and consistent reaction toward that which is contrary to His will. Look what it says there. Having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, he says in this text that 
they are desiring to, to, to that point where they don't even care anymore about what God thinks. You know how that happens, you guys? Get out of His Word. Stop spending time in prayer. Stay out of fellowship. And what God's desire is for your life will become less and less important. You know, sometimes my, you know, I'll pick up my kids, they're all in here. Sometimes my children, you know, they'll think, well, Dad, if we miss one Wednesday to play in a baseball game, is that really going to, am I going to not be saved anymore? Of course not. You'll still be saved. You'll be in trouble, but you'll still be saved. But here's the point. The point I want to drive home with my family, and the point I hope we, we all have driven home to each of us, is God must be the priority. He's more important than baseball. He's more important than, than your great hobby, whatever it is you're into, because slowly but surely as we compromise and let other things get in, in, in line in front of the Lord, before you know it, you get to the point where you're past conviction. You get to the point where you're no longer led by the Spirit and now it's what you want and your will and your desire and your passions overrule God's will. May it never be said. And he's saying, you know what, guys, this lewdness comes from a feeling, a, a, a heart and a desire, Lord, to my will now. Lord, I don't care anymore. Lord, I want to do what I want. In Romans 1, I'm going to read this to you. Don't turn there. I'll just read it to you. Verses 24 to 32. You can look at it later. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. That sounds like Santa Cruz. Who is blessed forever. Amen. We worship whales, not Jesus around here and trees, right? Isn't that true? For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty and the error which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind or a seared over conscience to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, youth group, <laughs> undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving. These are all signs of someone whose conscience has been seared over, who is now past feeling, and now has given themselves over to the desires of their flesh. And that happens as we stop heeding the voice of God. As we get to a place where we're no longer desperate for Him, and we're now moving in the center of our own will. I know this is a heavy message for some of us, for all of us. But you know what? God desires that we walk in holiness before Him. What, do I want my kids to obey me just so they can't have any fun? I want you to obey so you can have no fun. No fun in this house. That's not how I am. I'm an imperfect dad, and I want my kids to have a great time. But you know what? I also don't want my kids to come to harm. And so we have rules that will keep them from harm, that will keep them from heartache. God is a perfect God. And he's given us instruction out of love for us. But sadly, being past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness. This, supply, this uh, in Greek, applies a deliberate and purpose pursuit of all types of sinful behavior. Just saying, I've given myself to it, I'm pursuing it, and I don't care anymore. 
You know, I've counseled people that have looked right across the table at me and said to me, I know it's sin, I know it's wrong, I know it's outside God's will, and I'm going to do it anyway. Whoa. I think, wow, okay, well, I love you, and when this falls apart, and it will, I'm here to minister to you. But man, that's a, def- that's a difficult and a, a dangerous place to be, where we just thumb our nose at God, and we're going to do things our own way. And then it says, with greediness. Being like a covetous man, never satisfied with, with sin, but always craving more sinful lust and more pleasures. With no Holy Spirit to restrain us, unbelievers are deprived in their behavior, and it should not be so among the Christian church. Guys, my heart breaks over the whole concept that we as Christians would become comfortable with our sin. We would get to the point where sin's just not a big deal anymore. Now, when we become the sin inspector in everybody else's life, it comes across as legalism, and that's not my heart either. But I want to say this. We should be examining our own hearts moment by moment before God. Amen? Amen. And we should have a desire to have intimate fellowship with Him, and He should be the priority, not a priority in our lives. But sadly, what we've seen so often is that people will come to the place where what their flesh wants and what they desire has become more important than God's will, even for their own lives. Look what it says here. It says then in verse 20. Well, let me just finish that portion off. I want to say this. We're to be in the world, but not of it. And it begins by no longer walking like the world. No longer following the pattern of those who are spiritually dead, those who resist the Spirit. We're not to seek or accept the counsel of someone who does not know God. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And so God is our mighty counselor, amen? He's the one that we turn to. And our hearts should be softened by and led by the Spirit. So now we understand that we're not to walk like the world. So how are we to walk? We're to walk in the newness of life, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the beginning of verse 20. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. Okay, they're walking in futility. They're walking outside of God's will. But you have not so learned Christ. Now what does that mean? You've heard from the Lord. You've been taught by the Lord. And you understand the truth. And because of that, you should live different than the world. Look at verse 21. He says, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the truth, period. Amen? Amen. There is no truth apart from Jesus Christ. There are not many truths. There are not many paths. There's one truth. Man, Pastor Dave, that's being narrow. Well, the truth is narrow. Two plus two is always four, no matter how many committees get together and try to make it different. Amen? It's always the same, and the same is true. Jesus Christ is always the truth. But sadly... While we've learned from Jesus, the world embraces futility and darkness and ignorance and blindness and spiritual numbness being seared over in their conscience and lewdness and uncleanness and greediness all in the name of being satisfied in their flesh. Now, lest you think I'm blowing this out of proportion, let me share my heart with you guys for a minute. Let's think for a moment about one of our greatest areas of fleshly gratification as Christians. You know where it is? It's the area of entertainment. Is that true or not? Now let me just talk about that. 
In entertainment today, in TVs, movies, DVDs, video games, they're filled with fornication, adultery, homosexuality, and nudity. Right? Is that true or not? And it's sad because I talk to Christians who will say, well, but it's in the context of the movie. Yeah, they said the F word 575 times, but it was a war movie. Yeah, it was filled with adultery, but that's what the movie was about. And yeah, there was nudity, but that's what the movie was about. I mean, it's, it was all in context. If that's the context of the movie, go watch another movie. We're to be simple concerning that which is evil, amen? Now, Pastor Dave, he's always preaching grace, but now he sounds like he's being legalistic. But the truth is that the world around us today is so filled with, again, a pursuit of fleshly desires, a desire to walk in the center of our own will to the point of rejecting the truth of God. What else do we see in the video games that our kids are playing and, and the DVDs? Violence and death and coarse jesting. We see crude humor and foul language and the unashamed cursing of God's name. The music that some of our young people listen to, and I'm talking to you guys. You got iPods, and you, know, you put them in, and the songs are singing about sex and drugs and alcohol and things outside of God's will. I mean, I've, I've listened to teenagers' music sometimes, and the F, I mean, it's just out of control. And I think, what in the world? This is what we're being entertained by, and if that's what we're being entertained by, we're being desensitized to sin. We're going to get to the point where it's not a big deal anymore. You see enough adultery on TV, adultery's not a big deal. You see enough fornication and listen to it in the music that you listen to? Guess what? Fornication's not a big deal. Saving yourself for marriage? That's old school. We're past that. It's 2005, man. You know what? My heart breaks to, that it's a rarity today that you have two young people who wait for marriage. You know, in the church, that ought to be the rule, not the exception. Amen? And as parents, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm on the box today, so here it comes. As parents, I want to encourage you that you're accountable for your kids till they walk down the aisle. And you want, you stand up and be the parents. Don't let your 14-year-old tell you what they think they ought to be doing socially. You be the parent. No, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? And this is what we're going to do because this is what's best for you. By letting them go, you're not being a good parent. You're being an ungodly parent. You're letting your children be in charge. They got parents for a reason. Amen? God put them in your house for a reason. Be faithful. It's okay. Amen. We also see the greediness that is in our entertainment today. Not only seeing a man's endless pursuit of more, but who do we idolize? The rich and famous. We talk about, we call people that entertain us in adultery and fornication and you know, foul language, and then we call them stars, and we worship them. Is that true or not? You got whole TV stations just talking about where, oh, got to go see someone's house. Let's go get a tour of their house. Oh, who are they dating now? Oh, what are they doing? Oh, so-and-so broke up. Oh, <laughs> People have polls. Which one's the best? Who's got the better? The, who's, who cares? Amen? Amen? Who cares? You know what? Pray for their salvation. They need to be born again. They're not stars we follow. They're people we pray for. They need to know Christ. You know who the star is? Jesus. Amen? Amen. He's the one who hung the stars in the sky. He is the star. He's the one we follow. We're not to be conformed to this world and following after its lust. Again, 
worried about what people are wearing. Oh, did you see so-and-so was wearing at the Oscars? Who cares? Whatever. Not only that, in our, and again, we say, well, that's in the world, but it happens in our Christian homes as well. We say we don't have time for ministry, but we spend dozens of hours each week watching TV. Ouch. Ouch. Right? Yeah, I'd love to serve in the church, but I just don't have time. I'm watching a 900th rerun of something I've seen before. I'd love to come to church on Wednesday, but Lost is on. I've been told that. I'm the pastor. What? You, do you have a VCR? I mean, I have no time for devotions, but yet I spend hours reading magazines and newspapers and playing video games. I just don't have any time for devotions right now. I'm just, I'm really wrapped up in my 162 game season of MLB 2005. And when I get done with that, we can't memorize scripture, we say, but we know the lyrics of all the latest songs. And we know the stats of every baseball player in the league, some of you guys over there. But I just can't, I just can't get scripture in here. It's too filled with junk. Get it out of there. I can't afford to give God the first fruits of my income, I can't give to tithe, I can't give to missions, I can't, but we always have enough for the latest gadget, DVD, video game, or article of clothing that we just have to have. Ouch. Isn't it true? If you're visiting today, God bless you. (laughs) Ask anybody, grab tapes, I don't talk about my, I don't, you know, but here's the truth, guys, when we come to places in the text like this, where he says that we're to be in the world but not of it. We're to not follow the futility of the world. We're born again, new creations in Christ, and we ought to live different. Amen? We ought to be different than the world that's around. You know, people ought to see the peace in us and say, what do you have? You don't need to cheat on your wife to be happy. You don't need to do drugs to be happy. You don't need to you know, be involved in pornography or any other vice, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. You know, you just have joy in spite of it. You're not all caught up in how much money you can make. You're not concerned with how big your house is all the time. You know, you just have joy. How is that possible? Because I have Jesus. Amen? People ought to see that in the lives of His followers. Where do we learn this behavior that I've just shared with you? We didn't learn that from the Lord. We learned it from the world. Amen? The Lord didn't teach us to ignore him and play video games for 12 hours. He didn't tell us to not spend time in his word and know every soap that's on TV and what's going on in every plot line. We don't know what the Bible says, but we know what's happening with, you know, whoever's on Young and the Restless or Days of Our Lives or whatever. We better know God's word better than we know that, amen? And again, I love you guys. The Lord loves you guys. I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you. But what has Jesus taught us? What do we learn from him? Look at verse 20. 21, if indeed you have heard him and taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct. What did Jesus teach us? Put off your former conduct. Be different. You're a new creation in Christ. The word put off means to strip away as in taking off your old clothes. It describes a picture of repentance. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put off the old man. 
The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We must put the old man to death daily. We must die to our flesh daily. Amen? Imagine if a guy was in prison for 20 years. And he came out of prison, and he was wearing his prison orange jumpsuit. Walking around town. He'd say, dude, you're not in prison anymore. Lose the jumpsuit. Amen? You know what? We're not enslaved to sin anymore. Let's put the old man to death. The old will, the old desires, the old passions, put it off. Lose that filthy clothing, as it says. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put the old man to death and be renewed instead by the spirit. The world, the unsaved, walk in the futility of their minds the moral depravity of their flesh-driven will, and you and I as Christians are to walk in the newness of life, renewed in the Spirit. Amen? We're to walk in the newness of life, renewed in the Spirit of the living God. And that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we put the old man to death, we're renewed in the Spirit, and we put on the new man. Now who is the new man? True salvation's pictured here. Death of the old man, being renewed in the Spirit, new man in Christ. We see it in baptism, right? Death, burial, resurrection of who we were, and now who we are. I'm not the man I used to be. You're not the woman you used to be anymore if you've been born again. Amen? So why do we want to run back and, and imitate the behavior of the dead person when we're now alive in Christ? We ought to be living different lives. The death and the burial of the old man and the new man resurrected and walking in unity with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new mind, a new heart, new insight, new desires. And they're so much better than the world's, aren't they? So much better. It's okay. Guys, the world has nothing for you. Nothing. You know what? No one's going to stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day and wish they'd spent more time doing stuff in the world. Amen? Nothing. It has nothing to offer. But yet, sadly, we grip onto it and the enemy loves to draw us away. New heart, new mind, new desires. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We've been broken from the past. Guys, we don't need to visit the past to settle things straight. To Talestai. It is finished. Amen? Paul said, this one thing I do, I leave with that, that which is behind. I press onward. In the upward calling of Christ Jesus, this one thing I do, we don't need to go fix the past, it was settled at the cross. And too often we want to go back and deal with it and stop. Pursue God. Seek first His kingdom. Follow after Him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We're now clothed in Christ. In Him, through Him, we are righteous. We are holy. We're walking in newness of life. We're to be in this world, but not of it. Amen? We're to be in it, but not of it. No longer walking like the world, spiritually dead, resisting the Spirit, but now walking in newness of life, putting to death the old man and being clothed in Christ. Final section. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we are born again, it ought to impact every aspect of life. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was somebody telling me that they were never going to come back to our church because all we... Only thing that matters around here is God. I can't come back to your church because you act like the only thing that matters is God. 
Oh, okay, uh, I didn't know what to say to that. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, sorry. I mean, I, <laughs> our walk with God ought to impact every aspect of our lives, you guys. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is in Sunday morning from 10 to 1130 and Wednesday night for some of you, 7 to 830. He's our life 24-7 and ought to impact everything we say, everything we do, everything we think. Everything we respond to, how we're entertained, what our passions are. Take a look at this final portion. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, impacting every aspect of our daily conduct. Therefore, even those of you who are new, when you see therefore, you say, what's it therefore? Having become, again, new creations in Christ. Now, walking in newness of life. Having put the old man to death and being clothed in the Lord. Therefore, since you're a new creation in Him, how should we be living our lives every day? Empowered by His Spirit, walking in the fullness of the Lord. Put away lying. Now lying includes exaggerating, adding to what's true, making false promises, or even betraying another's confidence. You know you can lie by not saying anything. You can let someone say something that's not true. You know it is that it's a lie and you just let it go. That's lying. And the Bible says, put away lying. Who's the truth? Who's the father of lies? You want to be Satan-like? Lie. You want to be Christ-like? Speak the truth. Amen? Put away lying. Satan is the father of lies. Let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Can you imagine if parts of your body lied to other parts of your body? Imagine if your hand was on a hot stove frying and lied to your brain to say, it's not hot. Your hand would be barbecued. And you know, we're the body of Christ. We should not be lying to one another, Amen. Don't put on false airs. Don't pretend to be something you're not. We ought to be encouraging, loving, ministering one to another. That's God's calling for us as believers. Be angry and do not sin. Now, somebody asked me about this last week. I do believe there's such a thing as righteous anger. But I believe righteous anger is a reaction to something that grieves God. Injustice, immorality, ungodliness, all other sin. Jesus showed us righteous anger when he went into the temple because they turned his father's house into a den of thieves and he turned the tables over. I want to say this though. I believe righteous anger does not show itself the same way unrighteous anger does. And righteous anger is always concerning somebody else and the kingdom of God, not you. Amen? When we get angry about what somebody did to us, that's never righteous anger. Now, here's a key to not having, to being angry and sinning not. Look at the rest of that verse. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. You know what happens? If we don't deal with it right away, it boils up over time, doesn't it? And if you go to bed angry, you're going to wake up angry. Righteous anger, again, is something concerning someone else. And in our own struggles, be angry and sin not. Because the enemy will use anger and bitterness to drive a wedge between believers. He'll use anger and bitterness to drive a wedge between husbands and wives. Amen? Sleeping on the sofa is not the answer. Go talk. Babe, we need to get this right. Amen? I'm going to be the first one to tell you I've not always been faithful to that. 
I'm sure the rest of you have, right? <laughs> but the point is that if we let it go on and on and on, it grows. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let a, a day pass without getting situations that provoke anger dealt with. Verse 28. Nor give place to the devil. That's what happens when you let the anger go on. You give the enemy a place to drive a wedge. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. You might think, well, I don't steal. Okay, steal. I'm, I, I can sit here and listen to this verse just fine. No problem. I don't steal. You know what? Can I say this? It's interesting. My, my uncle in Texas owned a big company. And he was talking about how he said, every employee steals. You just try to keep it to a minimum. I said, oh, that's not true. He goes, no, they all steal. I have 500 employees. They all steal from me. I'm like, I think you're paranoid. <laughs> no, they all steal. I go, well, how, how do they steal from you? Oh, they come in late. They leave early. They sit at their computer and, you know, play solitaire when they ought to be working. You know, they're checking out the latest scores on ESPN or they're, you know, they're taking a long lunch, or they're taking stuff that belongs to the company home for personal use, or, you know, he said, I had a, a, a gallon here the other day copying a 1,000-page manuscript on my copy machine using my paper. That's stealing. And so we think, well, steal no longer. I don't steal. Well, maybe, maybe we need to address those things in our own heart. Amen? Christians, be the first ones at work, the last ones to leave. Do your job as unto the Lord. Amen? Your boss ought to look and say, I want 100 more people just like him. Hundred more people just like her. Be faithful. Don't steal. Now notice the contrary to that. It says, let him steal no longer, but let him labor. So the contradiction to stealing is labor. The opposition to stealing is labor. It's, it's, the word speaks to exerting yourself to the point of exhaustion. The Bible says in Genesis to Adam, you will Provide for your family by, the, you, by toiling in the soil, by the sweat of your brow. The Bible says, a man who does not work shall not eat. Laziness is a sin. Ouch. It's a sin. God has called us to be faithful, amen? Not to steal. You know what, I think it's stealing if we're laying home collecting checks when we're not hurt. Ouch. Getting welfare when we have a job. You know, don't cheat the government. Does God know? What's the answer? Let's be faithful. Let's be diligent. Now look at this. Working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Not only providing for your own family, but laboring to the point where you provide for others. So instead of taking, give. That's the point here. Let's finish up. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good... For necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Man, do we need to memorize this verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Don't let anything that's foul or rotten or harmful. You know, in the church today, and we're, we're all guilty of it at times. Coarse jesting. You know, making someone the butt of a joke and it's kind of funny and ah, Right? I hear pastors do it. You go to the pastor's conferences, and the guy who comes up is always getting over on the guy who just left. Always giving each other, and you know what? That's not edifying. Amen? It says there, the word there is that which is edification, necessary edification. A Christian's word should be instructive, exhortive, encouraging, uplifting, 
even when bringing correction, always be done in love. When I was a youth pastor, I used to have a two-word statement, prayer praise. Prayer praise. Tell the kids youth group, prayer praise. If you can't say something nice, pray for them. Amen? And if you can't do either one, then be quiet. Prayer or praise. And so what happened is somebody started to say something, and kids youth group would go, prayer praise. You know, it's really harsh when they do it to the youth pastor. Start to say something. Pastor Dave, prayer praise. True. Amen? What we speak ought to bring encouragement to others. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It grieves God when we invite Him into our lives. He makes us a new creation. He indwells us by His Holy Spirit to both comfort us and to convict us. And then we continue on in our sinful behavior as if we've never been touched by Him at all. It grieves His heart. Guys, as Christians, when you sin, guess who you're taking with you? Holy Spirit, come on with me as we go down to the strip club. Holy Spirit, come with me as we go down and get drink alcohol or whatever it is. Holy Spirit, come with me as I go flirt with another woman while I'm married. Holy Spirit, come with me. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we do things outside of God's will. Last two verses. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses to reconcile. We should never be in a place where we're unforgiving. When we're so bitter and angry with somebody, we won't be restored. Wrath, an uncontrolled outburst of the moment. This is not good. Wrath should not be seen in Christians. Yesterday, I was driving in a parking lot in Scotts Valley. I thought the guy was turning left. He didn't have his blinker on. And so I started to go by him, and then he decided he was going to turn into the parking spot right in front of me. And when he saw me going alongside of him, he started giving me symbols that were not loving. (laughs) He got out of his car, and he's shaking his fist at me, and he's screaming at me. And I have to confess, in my flesh, at least for half a second, I thought, dude, you you don't want none of this. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know how your flesh gets. If I get out of the car, it won't be pretty, right? You know, your mentality. But praise God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I rolled my window down, and all I said was this. I said, bro, you know what? I thought you were turning left. I apologize. Forgive me. It's my fault. And the guy just melted away. He goes, oh, man, I'm overreacting. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. (laughs) The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Amen? When someone's exploding... Soft answer turns that away. Christians should not respond with wrath, but respond in love, in anger, a settled disposition, lasting resentment, I'm not going to let go of, clamor, making noise, evil speaking, which is slander, malice, the height of unforgiveness. And look how it finishes up. The new man has control over his emotions. Look at the last verse. How is the new man to respond? He's not to be angry. He's not to be bitter. He's not to be wrathful. But instead, last verse, and be kind to one another. Kindness as in opposition to bitterness. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted as opposed to filled with wrath. Forgiving one another as opposed to being angry and have a sustained resentment. Even as Christ forgave you. As a new man in Christ... We are to forgive others the way that Christ has forgiven us. How much has Christ forgiven you? We don't, even want to, we don't even want to talk about it, do we? But He's forgiven us so very much. So, in closing, 
in the world, but not of it. No longer walking like the world. The world is spiritually dead. Resisting the Spirit. Walking in newness of life. Putting the old man to death. We've been born from above. Put on the new man. And walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Impacting every aspect of our daily conduct. Guys, can I encourage you as we close in prayer? Can I encourage you? May we not allow sin to be no big deal in our life. May we be grieved when we're outside of God's will. And may we put on the new man and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. May the world see us and see something different. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love and Your grace. We thank You that You suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And Lord, in response to Your grace, I pray that we would walk in holiness. I pray, Lord, we would make You the priority of our lives. I pray, Lord, we would seek first Your kingdom above all else. And I pray, Lord, that when the world sees us, they would see You. Lord, that we would be the moon reflecting the sun. Lord, as they would look upon us, that You would be glorified. Lord, we can't do it without You. We come humbly before You, asking in Jesus' name, Lord, that You would draw us unto Yourself. Help us to flee the the youthful lust of the old man, to die to ourselves daily and to pursue You above all else. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.